listening to audio from Faith Church, located on the north side of Indianapolis. If you'd like to check out more information about our church and ministry, please visit faithchurchindy.com. Galatians chapter 3, verses 10 through 14. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law, and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. This is the word of the Lord. I've been uh, enjoying rereading a book uh, by a guy I really have uh, come to appreciate in the last few years named Brant Hansen. Uh, it's a book called Unoffendable. And uh, he shares a lot of great stories uh, from his own life and experience, uh, including this one. He says, uh, maybe you know the feeling. Uh, people are doing something that is wrong, something that you find offensive, but you don't know how to convince them of just how wrong it is. And you need to find a way to convince them that what they're doing is wrong, how right you are. And, and you need a way to present a convincing, well-reasoned, uh, thought-provoking argument. But how? how? How can you effectively present your moral judgment over other people? And he said, uh, it's obvious. You get an awesome t-shirt. I got one that said, smoking stinks. And it had a picture of a cigarette with smoke coming out of it. And smoking stinks was written in cursive, which made it extra fancy and impressive. And he said, most people in my Illinois town where I grew up smoked, but I was a Christian, and I knew that smoking was wrong. And it was great to finally have a t-shirt that succinctly communicated my disapproval, right? Look, it's simple. You smoke, you stink. I don't smoke. I don't stink. I win. What do I win? Brant asked. Nothing as it turns out. But I was a kid, he says, so I have to cut myself some slack. I was just doing what immature humans do, which is thinking it's my job to put people in their place. And I also felt it was my job to, quote, win souls for Christ. And the way that that would happen is these souls would see my Smoking Stinks t-shirt and say, Brent, I am so impressed by your life of morality and your message of Smoking Stinks that I want to know about this Jesus who claimed to be the Jewish Messiah, the fulfillment of all prophecy, and the hinge of the history of the universe. To date, he says, that has not happened. But it could. In his letter to the Galatians, the Apostle Paul is not addressing the question so much of, how do I get saved? How do I get right with God? How do I know that I'm going to heaven when I die? He's addressing this problem in the church of using God's law as a measurement for other people, as a boundary marker of who's in God's family and who isn't in God's family because they don't measure up. And the Jewish believers were saying, well, it's obvious the, the Jewish law, the Torah, is the boundary marker. It's the measure for God's people. If you don't keep in the boundaries of God's law, you're not a part of God's family. And it sounds biblical, right? 
I mean, God's people obey God. God's people follow his direction. Here's the problem with that, Paul says. When we say that, we are condemning ourselves because we don't keep God's law. Paul writes to the believers in Rome about a similar situation, and he says, each one should be fully convinced in their own mind, but stop passing judgment on one another. And if I'm honest, I am really good at the first part of that, right? Like, I excel at being convinced in my own mind. I struggle more with not passing judgment on others because this law, this boundary marker, seems really, really important to me. And everyone else should agree with me that it's super important. And and if you don't agree, I mean, that's terrible. You're messing up. You're going to ruin everything, maybe. Paul is saying when, when we judge, when we measure, when we condemn, when we curse others for their failure to obey God's law, we're actually bringing a curse on ourselves. Here are the questions that Paul is answering in this letter to the Galatians. How is God going to fulfill this promise to bring blessing to the world through Abraham's family? How is God going to create a new redeemed humanity? What will those people look like? What will define them? How will they be known? And Paul is saying it is not by the works of the law. It is not by law keeping. God has a plan and he's promised to bring blessing to everyone in the earth through the offspring of Abraham. But God's own law stands in the way of his people being able to bring that blessing. Because law keeping will never bring the blessing of being part of Abraham's family of faith. Law keeping won't mark you as part of the righteous ones, the ones who are justified. And that's what we want to look at in the passage today. Three things. God's law condemns us, God's Son redeems us, and God's Spirit assures us. God's law condemns us, God's Son redeems us, God's Spirit assures us. If you haven't already, go ahead and open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 10 to 14 today in your journals. That's on page 14. And we're going to start with this. God's law condemns us. Now, it's important for us to to go back just one verse as we start, to pick up the contrast that Paul is drawing here between people in two different categories. It it doesn't come out as as, uh, clearly in our English translations as it does in the Greek, even though our English translations are perfectly good and trustworthy, we just don't tend to speak this way. But what Paul literally says is in verse 9, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith, and as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse. For it has been written, cursed is everyone who does not remain or abide by everything written in the book of the law and do them. And he goes on in verse 11. No one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith, but the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does it, the one who does the law, shall live by it. Now, in verse 10, that's a quotation from Deuteronomy 27. 
Moses is looking forward to God's people going into the promised land, and they're going to reaffirm their covenant commitment to God when they do that. They're supposed to affirm that we will walk in God's ways, and anyone who is unfaithful to God's word, anyone who rejects God's commandments, is excluded, is cursed, is cut off under judgment. And in verse 11, uh, Paul says, no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. Uh, And in, in verse 12, we'll come back to that a little later, the one who does them, though, the one who does the law shall live by it. And that's a quote from Leviticus 18. It's, it's sort of paralleling this statement from Deuteronomy, where uh, it's warning that if, if God's people copy the detestable practices of the pagan nations that God is driving out before them, then they will experience the same judgment, the same condemnation, the same exile. Cursed is everyone who does not follow this book of the law. Following God's law was the way to be established, to be secure, to be blessed in in the land. And so Israel was condemned not for being imperfect, but for being unfaithful. God knew they weren't going to be perfect. That's why the whole sacrificial system existed. He wasn't expecting them to be perfect. What condemned them was their unfaithfulness, their their rejection of God, and warning them that rejecting His ways would bring punishment. That's exactly what happened, what led them into exile. God graciously brings them back, but then pagans are still ruling over them right. For for the last 300 years before Jesus and up through Paul's day, Greeks and Egyptians and and now the Romans. And so even though they'd physically been brought back from exile, they were still spiritually in exile and longing for the Messiah who was going to redeem them from this exile that they were still living in. But that's why the the religious people of Paul's day, the Pharisees, the, the Essenes, were so focused on God's law because they took it seriously. They they took it seriously when God said, if you obey, these blessings will come on you. And they believed, they thought, based on God's word, that obeying him and keeping his law would bring restoration and blessing through obedience. They wanted the nation to come home spiritually from the exile that they were experiencing. They, They wanted to obey the law to find life. And so when God's law talks about finding life by obeying him, it's not talking about being saved or inheriting eternal life. It's talking about living under God's pleasure and blessing as a response to his grace, as a response to his kindness. Law-keeping was never a way to become God's people, which Paul's going to bring out more in later chapters. It's describing how God's people direct their lives to remain in Him. So as instruction, as direction, as guidance, God's law is good. But when we make it the boundary marker, when we make it the measure, the entry point into God's family, the law becomes a curse to us because we end up cursed for our failure to obey it. It's sort of like playing a, a game of spiritual hangman. You know the, the game where you, you draw the little 
the, the gallows and you're supposed to guess the word that I have in my mind and I give you the blanks and you have to fill them in right or your little stick man dies in a sense, right? You have to measure up to the standard that I have set for you or you lose. And Paul is saying it, it, it's not that you can't win the game, it's just that it's the wrong game to play at all. When I, when I enter into a game of spiritual hangman and I set up a gallows to judge and measure you for whether or not you can fill in the blanks the right way, I'm cursing myself. I'm erecting a gallows for myself. Where we would put a noose around someone else's neck, Paul says, we're putting one around our own. And we keep looking for validation for assurance for security in law keeping Paul says and I have to keep convincing myself that that I'm doing a good job so therefore I have to keep diminishing the law's demands so that I can live up to them I'm not living up to the law when I make that the standard because Paul says again cursed is everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law saying, look, if you want to take on the law as the measurement of whether you're God's people or how good you're doing, it's not just circumcision. It's not just eating kosher foods. There's 611 other commandments you will have to keep if that's going to be your standard. And not only does that then destroy unity within the body of God's people, it condemns us. It curses us because we can't keep all of it. Of course, God wants to grow us in wisdom. He, he wants to grow us in maturity, grow us to look more like Jesus. But first of all, Paul wants us to understand it doesn't mean we're all going to look the same. It doesn't mean we're all going to have the same priorities, the, the same expressions of following Jesus. Second, it, it, it's a reminder that we're all growing. We're all in process. None of us have arrived yet. And so measuring other people on their law-keeping that's why it's bringing a curse on me because there's maybe somebody behind me who's measuring me on my law keeping and I'm not up to their standard. And then third, being wise and mature, Paul is saying, being holy cannot be what defines me as a follower of Jesus. The law tells us, you see, that, that it's up to us to police people and that God needs us to, to take a stand. Law-keeping, the way Paul's talking about us, it, it, it says it's on you to manage the whole world, to be responsible for everyone doing what they ought to be doing. That We end up offering advice when, when exactly nobody has asked us for our opinion on it. We get shocked and offended when people don't share our morality. I become the judge and the jury of that person that just cut me off in traffic or, or the person who values something differently than I do that person who's rude and selfish. I end up rehearsing in my mind what that other person did to us. It's exhausting, isn't it? It's discouraging. It destroys us, Paul says. It's a curse. It's a version kind of of this question that, that maybe we sometimes often fall into. How can you be a Christian and fill in the blank? Right? How can you be a Christian and you know, smoke cigarettes? How can you be a Christian and drink alcohol? How can you be a Christian years ago and play cards, go to the movies, chew gum? 
How can you be a Christian woman and wear pants, not wear a hat? How can you be a, a Christian and not dress up for church or think that God cares about what you wear to church? How can you be a Christian and have tattoos or piercings? How can you be a Christian and watch R-rated movies? How can you be a Christian and not be vaccinated? How can you be a Christian and not wear a mask or wear a mask? Some of you may have seen uh, the movie a few years ago called The Help. It reminds me of a scene uh, from it. Hilly, one of the main characters, is a judgmental, racist controlling, conniving busybody. And she's full of religiosity and anger and condemnation and judgment. Abilene is her friend Elizabeth's hired help. She's a wise and a godly woman. And, and when she confronts Hilly, she's painfully honest, but, but still loving. And she says, all you do is scare and threaten, and lie, and try to get what you want. Ain't you tired, Miss Hilly? Ain't you tired? That's what Paul is asking. It's a riveting scene, right? It strikes a deep chord. It, it resonates with me. It even hurts because the words go to our hearts. Because I'm tempted to measure people, to determine their value based on how they treat me. I know what it's like to hold on to anger, to harbor resentment, to keep score of who's a friend and who's an enemy, to judge people for what they say and, and what they do, and, and doing all the mental gymnastics to justify myself in all of it. I certainly have done the right things here. To look for ways that I've been slighted or, or ways that people need to be corrected. I've spent too much time deciding whether people measure up to my standards and my expectations, if they're in or if they're out. It's time-consuming. It's exhausting. It's a drain mentally and emotionally and spiritually and even physically. It's a curse. It's a curse, Paul says. And, and I can keep pronouncing everyone else guilty for the rest of my life, and I'll keep on living under that curse. Paul says, aren't you tired? Aren't you tired? Because there's good news. That law that, that we tend to want to use to measure others against ourselves or against what we think ought to the standard to be can only condemn us. But God's Son redeems us from that curse. God's Son redeems us. See, the law points out what we ought to do, what we need to do, what we should do, and at the same time, what we do not do. God's law can tell me do not steal, but it can't make me value my neighbor's possessions and him or her being secure in their property and caring about what happens to them. The law can tell me don't murder people, but it can't make me actually love them. The law can't make me want to see them blessed and successful. The law tells me what to do and then condemns me for not doing it. And yet God promises that one day he is going to do something. He, he is going to change us. He's going to give us new life. He's going to put his spirit in us and write his law on our hearts so that we would obey, not because we obey. 
but he would change us to make us able now to obey. And God is the one who's taken the initiative in this program of rescue, of renewal, with a new kind of doing that's possible, a new kind of law-keeping in which we could actually find the life that God's law even promised and, and pointed us towards. There, there were all these promises and, and prophecies and hopes for the Messiah. Of course, he's going to be strong. He's going to lead God's people into victory. He's going to defeat their enemies. And that's exactly why it was so hard to accept that Jesus could be the Messiah. Because that's not what happened. He was defeated. If he's the Messiah, how can he be cursed? How can he be hung on a tree? How can he be judged a criminal? Look at what Paul says again in the end of verse 13. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Now Paul is quoting Deuteronomy again. He's making his case for the impossibility of law keeping to be in God's family from the law. And he's pointing out that what Deuteronomy is saying there in this context is that people who had been cursed, people who had been judged and even executed for their criminal offenses were to be publicly displayed as a reminder, as kind of a public shaming hung on a tree for everyone to see this is what happens to lawbreakers. And Paul is saying Jesus was hung on a tree in that way. He was exiled. He was displayed for public ridicule in his crucifixion. And we only have two choices. Either Jesus was a sinner who got what he deserved, or he was the sacrifice who took what we deserved. Either Jesus got what he deserved, or he took what we deserve. If Jesus really is the promised Messiah, if he became a curse for us, as he says in verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, then all the effects, all the blessings, all the benefits of his righteousness and his victorious death flow over to us as his people. That's what it means to be in Christ. The most common way that the New Testament talks about being a follower of Jesus is to be in Christ, to be united to him. How? How does that work? How does Jesus' death redeem us from the curse? That's what Paul is saying in verse 11. It is evident that no one is justified, no one is righteous before God by the law, but the righteous shall live by faith. Paul is quoting the prophet Habakkuk and, and pointing us to this hope, this vision that those who are righteous live by faith, or we can read it as those who are righteous by faith shall live. That there is a solidarity, there's a connection between Jesus the Messiah and his people that only comes by faith, not by law-keeping. That's how the Messiah became a curse on our behalf. Jesus took on the curse because we are cursed for our failure to keep the law and the ways that we want to apply God's law on top of everyone else and demand that they live up to it. And Jesus 
death for us, his vicarious death is the remedy. And it only makes sense if the Messiah represents, stands in the place of God's people. And the only way that we appropriate that, the way that we live in it and receive it is by faith. The Messiah dies humiliated on a cross, exiled outside the city. Everything that our law-breaking deserves. And we are included, we receive the benefits of that by faith. But that has to apply to everyone. If Jesus got what I deserve, then he also got what that guy deserves. He got what she deserves. He got what they deserves for everyone who trusts in him. Last week, I also ran across a quote from a lady named Kristen Powers, who was writing about our culture and, and our need to be people of grace. Grace is giving other people space not to be you. Grace is giving other people space not to be you. Because see, if we, if we really think about it, the boundary markers, the laws that we want to establish for other people are not about asking people to live up to God's standards. It's about asking them to live up to our standards. Because I know I don't live up to God's standards. I, I, don't, I don't want that expectation for me. The boundary markers that I set up are for condemning people who don't look like Jeff. Because I will decide what boundaries, what, what standards people should live up to, and, and then I judge them, because we never pick boundary markers that we ourselves don't live up to, right? I'm not going to stand up here in a t-shirt that says, tall people are the worst. I'm not going to wear a t-shirt that says, God hates Americans, or dad jokes are bad jokes, because that's me, right? No, the, the things that God cares about are, are the other stuff that I don't live up to. See, if I, if I really work hard at living out God's design for sexual integrity, then I can condemn people who don't live up to God's standards for sexual integrity. But if I don't live up to those standards, I'm going to be exercised about something else. If I've never been divorced, you know, I might easily and quickly quote, God hates divorce. If I've been divorced, though, probably not going to wear around a t-shirt saying that and condemning people for being divorced. I'll condemn gambling or drugs unless I do those things, and, and then I'll condemn, say, sexism and racism instead, or on and on and on. Do you see how it works? See, we use God's law to judge people for not looking like us. We pick the boundaries based on what we look like, and then we condemn those people to the outer darkness and the, the exclusion. They're outside the boundaries where they're cursed. When we make any law of God a boundary marker, we are condemning ourselves, Paul says. We're bringing the curse down on our own heads. We're judging ourselves when we judge others. We're cursing ourselves when we're cursing them based on God's law. So that when we make law-keeping, whatever it looks like, as the identifier of being God's people, of being right and good and godly, I'm condemned by the same law that I don't keep because I'm putting a burden on them and on myself that I don't carry. That's what Jesus has come to free us from. 
Oh, that's why Jesus has become a curse for us. Jesus has taken the curse for our failure to live faithfully into all that God has commanded. And he's taken the punishment that our law-breaking deserves. And he's freed us by his grace to make us people of grace. To give people the ability to not be me. To not look like I think they ought to look. And then, finally, God's Spirit assures us. I'm going to have to go real quickly through this last part. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse, so that in Christ the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. So that we would receive the Spirit. Because, see, it's easy to start to think that, that what I'm doing is what makes me a child of God. I know that I belong to Jesus, you know, because I give and I serve and I'm active at church or I, I don't do those sinful things that pagans do. No, I do those things because I am God's child. Those are not the things that make me God's child. And, and what tells me that I belong to God is the fruit of His Spirit the production of His presence dwelling in me. Love, joy, and peace. Kindness, gentleness, self-control. God gives the Holy Spirit now to His followers by faith to live in them as the Spirit's home, to take up His residence in us, to influence our hearts. I, how do I know that this is really true of me? Do I love Jesus? Do I love His gospel? Do I delight in God, not just for what He can give me, but for who He is for me? Do I love God's truth? Do, do I grow in delighting in what God says to me? And am I growing as a person that extends grace to others? If we love God for what He does for us, we're beginning at the wrong end, Jonathan Edwards says. We're only loving God for our personal interests. Like, you know, when I first fell in love with my wife, Amelia, I loved her for what she did for me, for the way she made me feel, for the way I felt when I was around her. And, and it was only years of work and growth and maturity that I could really start to love her for who she is, for herself, for her own sake, not just for the good that she does for me, although she certainly does good to me. The Spirit is the one who comes to live in me to help me love God for who He is, to delight in Him, and to grow me in humility about my inability to keep His law, and then to reassure me again and again and again that I am God's child not because I'm obeying, but because Jesus has obeyed. Jesus is my hope. Jesus is my security. Jesus is my righteousness. How is God going to fulfill his promise to bring blessing to the world through Abraham? Not by law keeping. It doesn't bring blessing or righteousness to us or to the world. God's law condemns us, even though it guides us in good ways. 
God's Son is the one who redeems us, and, and now the Spirit comes to live in us to assure us that we really do belong to God, not because of what we are doing, and that takes the pressure off. And Paul wants these believers in Galatia to know, and he wants us to know, that if we are Jesus' followers, we are part of his family of faith. And that's true for all those other people who claim to follow Jesus too, even if their lives look different from ours, even if they value things differently than we do. Because everyone has a place to take at God's table whether they're circumcised or uncircumcised, whether they're keeping this law or that law in the way that we think they ought to. There's no need to take on God's law. There's, there's no need to bring in any other boundary marker of law observance to belong to Jesus. Now, Paul's going to have plenty to say in the rest of the letter about how, as God's children, that law gets lived out in our lives. But we've got to get this foundational part right. Any attempt to impose law on others is out of bounds, Paul says, because the law pronounces a curse on us, and Jesus has come to free us from that curse. The way through the curse is not to tighten up on religious observance. It's through rescue in Jesus Christ. That's what we come together to remind ourselves of as we worship, and especially today as we come together to celebrate God's gift of himself through his son Jesus. As many as are of faith are sons of Abraham and children of God in Christ. Thanks be to God that Jesus has become the curse, has taken the curse for us so that we can know the life and the freedom of the children of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this reminder, uh, this challenge to us that we need to hear again and again. The pouring out of your Spirit on all who trust in you is the sure sign that we belong to your family and that everyone who has received the Spirit is part of your family and we stand firm in that reality. Oh, Jesus, help us. Help us to believe and live out of that truth that we are your children by faith, by grace. We pray with gratitude in Jesus' name. Amen.